When you read through the scriptures from cover to cover, you take the Bible and you open up and you read from Genesis to Revelation, or even just one book, in many places there's a repetition to what is said. There's, there's something that's said, a principle that is being taught. Something from the Lord, from God's heart, that is being delivered to us. And then we'll see that same idea repeated, that same message repeated. It will happen throughout a book. It will happen across the Old Testament, across the New Testament, all the way to the very end. Some, sometimes things are said over and over again, even in a row. Sometimes things are repeated and then the scripture as a whole repeats its core teachings and admonitions repeatedly. And sometimes people, as we go through a book of the Bible or as we go through the scriptures, I've experienced this where people will say, well, you know, we've heard this before. Or I'm familiar with this teaching or I'm familiar with that topic. And there's a reason for that. And it's because God wants us to be very familiar with it. There's a reason for the repetition, and one of the reasons is that it goes to the, it's a characteristic of the architecture of Scripture. The Word of God, if God delivered a, a, a word to, to mankind, and he wanted it written down, and he wanted it preserved, and thankfully, you and I are sitting here in 2018 tonight, and many of you have your devices open, you have Bibles with you, we have a scripture, we have a word of God that has been preserved from the very beginning when it was given, and we have it today. And one of the characteristics of the architecture of scripture is that the word of God was constructed in such a way that it was protected against the destruction and interference from the enemy. This is a hallmark. If you study communication, this is a hallmark of communication that is designed to withstand enemy attacks against the communication itself. Okay, so there, there are those, you know, when countries go into battle, there are those that will try to intercept messages. They will try to decode messages. They will try to jam signals of, of the opposing uh, forces so that they can interrupt and, and bring um, you know, confusion to the enemy or whatever it is. Well, the Word of God is constructed in such a way as to overcome all that because the message has been spread across a tremendous bandwidth 66 books written over 1,500 years in the time span in three languages by over 40 people on three continents. And so the message is there and it is protected against hostile jamming. The message is, again, it's spread over a large bandwidth. Now, the Word of God is designed exactly this way and the teachings of the Bible are spread across the bandwidth of the Word Itself, And so that's why you can't turn to the one chapter on salvation. Turn, turn in your Bibles to the one singular chapter on salvation. No, it's, it's all the way through from cover to cover. Turn to the one chapter that deals with baptism. What if, what if there was that and that one chapter was lost or that one chapter was uh, taken out? You'd still have it. You, it may not be as crisp but you'd still have the message all the way across because of the way that the word was given. So, you have a message that is repeated 
And tonight we have kind of a message that is repeated again. Last week we talked about envy. We talked about covetousness. And and it was a very interesting study because covetousness is that last commandment of the ten. Thou shalt not covet. And it's the one that is, is, is the one that like even if you felt like you could come through all nine of the commandments and you felt like pretty good about yourself, when you get to ten, eh, we're all dead in the water because we all have that internal sin of covetousness. It was even the sin of covetousness that Paul uses as an example of the law bringing death to him and bringing that awareness of his need of Jesus and need of a salvation of a savior. So we had a message on envy last week and we've got another one tonight. And so I'm saying all that to say that sometimes there's there's that repetition in scripture and it's because God wants to get his message across to us and he wants to get it into our hearts. So we've got two warnings concerning envy. Last week in chapter 30 and then tonight in chapter 31. In our chapter tonight, we're going to see the envy of Laban's sons and even Laban himself. One of the problems with envy The problem with envy is the focus on the material world, on material wealth. When you think about envy, when you think about covetous, if you look at the commandment, it's like don't covet your neighbor's house or his donkey or camel. Of course, that's how it reads in the commandment. Today, it would be like don't covet your neighbor's like car or motorcycle or whatever it is. And, 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 And that stuff, it deals with kind of material things, material possessions. And that's the, that's where the, you know, the, the rubber meets the road when it comes to covetousness and envy. It deals kind of in the material world. One commentator put it this way, and I think it's profound. I'll have it up on the screen, actually. It says this, man's overvaluing of worldly wealth is the fundamental error, which is the root of covetousness and envy and evil. It's because of the overvaluing of worldly wealth that we look to that and we say, oh, oh, that would be great. I want that. I want my neighbor's stuff. So tonight we're going to take a look at and see the results of envy and what it can do. And we're going to really take a look at the results of also being envied. We're going to look at it from both sides of the coin. Uh, tonight, and we're really going to look at this chapter from the chapter of Jacob, and Jacob is the one uh, tonight that we're going to look at who's being envied, and so you will find yourself in this lifetime on both sides of this equation. You will find yourselves in the seat of being the, the, envy, the, the envious one, and you will find yourself on the other side of the coin of the one being envied. And so tonight, we're going to look at it from both of those sides. And so if you're taking notes tonight, uh, how do you handle it when you are receive the, on the receiving end of envy? How do you handle it? Well, I've got two points for you. And the first one is this, be under God's guidance. Be under God's guidance. Let's take a look at it. Chapter 31 of Genesis. Let's pick it up in verse one. It says this. Now, Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he has acquired all this wealth 
And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable towards him as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field to his flock and said to them, I see your father's countenance that it is not favorable towards me as before, but the Lord God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might, I have served your father. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages 10 times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. If he said, thus the speckled shall be your wages then all the flocks bore speckled and if he said thus the streaked shall be your wages then all the flocks bore streaked and so God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me and it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream and behold the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked speckled and gray spotted then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream saying Jacob and I said here I am And he said, lift up your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you, and I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise and get out of this land and return to the land of your family. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there still any portion of our inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. Then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels. And he carried away all his livestock and and all of his possessions which he had gained and his acquired livestock which he had gained in Padam Aaron. To go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all that he had. He arose and crossed the river and headed toward the mountains of Gilead. We need to be under God's guidance. God needs to be our guide. He needs to be the one that is leading us and guiding us in this life. We need to be submitted to his leadership. Amen? I mean, if we're looking to anybody, I mean, if we're looking for any counsel, we need to be receiving the counsel of the Lord when it considers what we are to do, how we are to respond in every situation that we might find ourselves in. And this situation was no different for Jacob. The last chapter, chapter 30, began with Rachel being envious of her sister Leah. This chapter, chapter 31, begins with Laban's sons being envious of Jacob. Laban's sons said this, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has acquired all his wealth. Well, remember, they had made a deal. Jacob and Laban had made a deal about what his wages were. In fact, Jacob had gone to Laban and said, look, I need to leave. I've got a big family now. I need to go make, you know, I need to take care of my own family. And he said, look, don't go, don't go. Name your wages and I'll pay you. I'll pay you whatever. He gave him a blank check. And so basically, Jacob said, no, I don't want your blank check. But here, we're going to make this deal. 
all, I'm going to keep your flocks. I'm going to stay on. I'm going to keep your flocks. And all that come out spotted of the flocks, streaked or speckled, those, are, those will be mine and the rest will be yours. And Laban agreed to the deal because the deal, because most of the, the, the sheep that would be born, most of the goats, the rams, all of it, they wouldn't be streaked and speckled and spotted. Those were kind of like the oddballs. Those were kind of the rare ones in the whole process. And so it seemed good to Laban and so he took the deal. So what happened is that, uh, that it actually didn't turn out so great for Laban, that God blessed Jacob, God, uh, Jacob trusted God uh, in everything, and Jacob was completely blessed. In fact, the last verse in chapter 30 was this verse where it said that Jacob was, you know, he kind of burst out exceedingly, exceedingly, remember? He, was, he, was, he had become prosperous in this arrangement. And so he had become very wealthy in this whole deal and all that he acquired. Outward prosperity makes a man to be someone to be envied. Not that he should be envied, but when someone kind of rises up, when someone kind of does well, what happens? That person has kind of, you know, they're going to be envied. And this can be very difficult to deal with. It can be really difficult. And, uh, and the question is, how do we deal with it? How do we deal with it? Well, we've got we've to have our trust in Christ. We've got to have our trust in God. And we've got to know that we're just trusting him and that we're trusting his guidance. Whatever he tells us to do, do it. And so if you find yourself in a difficult situation, you just go to the Lord, trust the Lord. He's going to speak to you and just rely on his leadership. Uh, and so what happened with, with them is that... Uh, that Jacob, again, had become prosperous, and so you have the sons being very envious over the situation. And, you know, this can happen in families, um, and it can be very subtle in families and maybe not even mentioned. This happens, and sometimes it is never discussed, but it, in, in your heart, um, you can have all this stuff going on. You can have a situation in your family where um, maybe you come from a, you know, a family with a lot of brothers or sisters, and one of them becomes successful, and then what happens? Then, then sometimes the, the other brothers and sisters can become envious of that person, not being happy for them that they're succeeding, not being happy for them that, you know, that they're applying themselves and doing well and, and succeeding, but but envious. And, and this is something um, that we've got to watch out for even in our own lives. We have to ask ourselves, you know, when we see someone else succeeding, um, or, you know, is that something that, you know, kind of, um, you know, makes us feel bad? Is it, you know, is there something in our hearts that's just kind of like, you know, not pleased with that? And we're like, oh, well, you know, it shouldn't be them. And, and, and they did this. And, and mom and dad did this for them when we were growing up. And see, you know, yeah, I knew it would turn out this way. Trust me, th these, are, these are thoughts <laughs> that, that go through the hearts and minds of, of, of people. And we've got to watch that. We've got to watch that. We've got to just let, let people, you know, if someone's blessed, let them be blessed. If someone's blessed more than you, let them be blessed. You know, what's it to you? What's it to you? 
You just trust the Lord in your own life and see what God's going to do. You just listen to him and, 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 and be under his guidance and leadership and see what God does with you. But we've got to get out from underneath this, this covetousness, this envious situation. It, it can be hurtful in families. Um, things are done. Things are said. Um, and maybe things are not said. It's, it's sometimes it's worse that, uh, with the things that are not said. It's a look. Um, in fact, this is what Jacob noticed. Look back at verse 3 of our text. I'm sorry, verse 2. And Jacob saw that the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. So it is literally um, something that you can pick up on just literally in the countenance of another person. The way they look, the way they're looking at you, you can tell that they're not looking favorable, that there's, that there's something going on there. And Jacob saw that the countenance of Laban, he saw what the countenance of Laban was, and he knew, that some, he knew what was up. He knew what was up. How did he know what was up? Just by looking at Laban's countenance. This is called nonverbal communication, okay? For all you educators out there, you know all about this. Nonverbal communication. Communication. In fact, most communication is nonverbal. We like to think we're, we're out here talking and talking and talking, and you think that you're just only listening to what's coming out of my mouth. But you are picking up all kinds of stuff um, in the way that I'm saying it, the tonality of my voice, the, the, the gestures, the, 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 hopefully the passion which, which I'm talking to you right now. There's so much going on that's communicating to you right now, and that's called nonverbal communication. And one of the greatest lessons that you can learn in life is that you are always communicating, and most of that communication is nonverbal. Let me say that again. You are always communicating, and most of that communication is nonverbal. And so here's the question for us What is our nonverbal communication saying to those around us? What are we saying when we're not moving our lips, or when we're moving our lips, and there's another thing being said by the nonverbal cues that are going forth? If you can learn to control negative and harmful nonverbal communication while simultaneously displaying and using positive and encouraging nonverbal communication, you can and will greatly improve your life and your communication to those around you. You can literally become someone who actually people want to be around instead of someone that no one wants to be around. Sometimes people like they don't know why no one wants to be around them. And it's like, you know what? Guess what? Ding, 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 ding. McFly, McFly. It's the nonverbal communication that you're laying down, okay? We're not digging it. We're not digging it, you know? Go get it figured out. Go get an attitude adjustment. Go get in the Holy Spirit. Go get in the Word and, and, and learn how to, to kind of bring that under control so that you can be a blessing with your nonverbal communication. And sometimes, honestly, it, it can be as simple as just a smile. A smile. You know? Pastor Chuck was great at this because when he came to the passages where he had to like teach on hell and everything, and he, 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 would, he would just do it with a smile on his face. You know, he, you know, and it was just an incredible, incredible way that he had about him. And so what's the lesson here? Watch your countenance. Watch your countenance, folks. Um, it is important. So, uh, so 
Jacob saw that the countenance of Laban was not good towards him, and then the Lord spoke to him. And this is where we need to be under the guidance of God. God spoke to him and he said, what? Return to the land of your fathers and to your family and I will be with you. So the Lord guided Jacob and Jacob proves to be under the guidance of God. And he proves to be under the guidance of God in at least two ways in this passage that we've already read. First, God guided him to leave the country and return to the land of his father, the land of Canaan. Verse three, then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your family and I will be with you. So wow, that is an awesome uh, guidance there and it's got like an actually, it's an extra little bit of um, security there. Did you catch that? It wasn't just go in that direction. It was go and I'm going with you. Go and I'm going with you. So that's encouraging. And that's the first way that God guided him and that Jacob proved to be under God's guidance. Christian, it's your, it's your part in this thing. You want to wonder, well, what's my role? What's my part in this whole thing? It's your part to be under the guidance and leadership of Christ. This is where you need to be. This is where you need to live. Where do you need to live? You need to live under the guidance of God. So that when God says something to you, he says, go over here or walk across the room and I'm going to be with you. Hey, okay, let's do this thing. Let's do it. And, and you can do it because God has spoken to you. He's given you that leadership. He's given you that guidance. Now, the second way that God, that, that Jacob proved to be under the guidance of God was that God guided him concerning the flocks the, the flocks and the agreement that he had with Laban. And how did he guide him with this? He guided him, he, he communicated with, with Jacob in a dream. Last chapter, Jacob presents this deal with Laban, right? And it's like, okay, you wanted me to, you wanted me to name my wages and I, 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 Gave you back the blank check, but here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take, I'm going to keep your flocks, and I'm going to take all the streaked, spotted, and speckled, right, among the, among the flocks. Okay, let's, let's go with that. And then, by the end of the chapter, Jacob is just overflowing with prosperity. His flocks are just, you know, all, it's, they're all coming out streaked and spotted and speckled and all this, and it's just this just amazing thing. And it's like, well, wait a second, how did this happen? How did this happen? And there was this idea there where he had taken these branches of poplar branches that he had stripped them and he had put them in the, in the ground by the watering troughs when the flocks came to mate, okay? And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of question that, that goes, you know, uh, around with this particular passage. Like, you know, how did this happen? Was there some type of, a, like God got involved? Like, you know, was this some type of a miracle that God kind of brought this abundance of spe uh, streaked and spotted and speckled and so on? And so this is the question. How was it that the flocks produced huge numbers of streaked, spotted, and brown sheep among the lambs? Uh, well, let's read, let's read that um, passage there in last chapter that we read last week. Chapter 30, pick it up, verse 37. I believe I'll have it on the screen for you. Um, but anyways, before we get there, so 
This is what you don't know. If you read this chronologically, 30 and then get to 31, you don't know this. But in our passage tonight, we just read that God spoke to him by a dream, right? So going back to chapter 30, it says this. Go back to 37 there. Chapter 30, verse 37. Now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and of the almond and chestnut trees and peeled white strips in them. And he exposed the white which was in the rods and the rods which he had peeled. And he set before the flocks in the gutters, in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink so that they should conceive when they came to drink. Keep that in your mind right there. So that they should conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. Okay. So what was this? Is, was, what, is there some type of thing that, where God said, look, I want you to get these branches and strip them down and put them in the ground. And I'm just going to kind of do like a God thing. And, you know, when the, when, the, when the flocks come to mate, then it's just going to be like this miraculous thing. And uh, you're going to have a bunch of streaked, spotted, and speckled offspring. Um, that, hey, can God do that? Absolutely. God spoke the worlds into existence. He said in the beginning, you know, he said, let there be light, and there was light. So God could do anything. Um, but I think that looking at this and what I'm going to read to you is going to really kind of make a lot of sense to you and what happened. And I'm going to read this from one of the commentators. He said this, previous commentators have implied that placing of the branches in front of the animals arose from the belief that vivid sights during pregnancy would leave a mark on the offspring. However, the fact that Laban removed all the colored animals from the flock he entrusted to Jacob shows that the herdsmen knew that the color of the offspring was influenced in some way by the color of the parents. It was necessary for the herdsmen to understand the, the exact rules of inheritance, only sufficient that whenever possible, female animals were served by colored mates. It is proposed that the use of the branches referred to in the story was not an attempt to generate visual impressions influencing females during pregnancy or conception, but instead the branches were used to, to build a fence to ensure that only colored male animals could service the females. So when we read that in the, in the verse there, at the end of verse 38, it says, so they should conceive when they came to drink. So when the females came to drink, then that's when he came in with basically the fence and created like a, a pen where the females would mate with the speckled, spotted, and streaked. So Jacob, because God had spoke to him in this dream and he listened to God and he trusted God and he was under God's guidance, became very, very successful. Another thing that we see here in this passage is that when God came to Jacob and he called his name, he said, here I am. He said, here I am. And we've got to be listening for God too. God will speak. You say, you say to me tonight, right now, you look, look, at, look at me. Will God speak to me? Will God speak to me? And sometimes I'll be honest with you. I ride around sometimes and I say, God, I just need you to speak to me. I just need, God, I, I need to hear from you. 
And God has spoken. And God does spoke. And then within just a short period of time, God speaks to me in that way that he speaks to me. And I go, oh, how could I have doubted that you still speak? How could you, I have doubted that you speak to me, God? And we've got to be like Jacob. Jacob, the Lord spoke to Jacob and he said, here I am. And he did what the Lord had, had put upon his heart. So he became very, very successful. So Jacob relays all this to Rachel and Leah, and they're all in agreement to get out of there, to leave that area. And then, we're, then we get this little piece of information too, that Rachel steals her father Laban's gods. Laban practiced the occult divination. And by this, he knew the source of the blessing. Remember, he says, I knew this. Remember, I brought that out to you last week. I knew this by divination. That, that, that you were blessed, that you were blessed. I mean, you know, he could have opened up his physical eyes. And said, yeah, I guess you're blessed. But he knew it by divination. It's actually there in the Hebrew, in the language. So what does Rachel do? Here they are. They're all in agreement. The countenance of Laban is, is not good towards us. The sons of Laban are envious about what's happened, what's transpired in this transfer of wealth or whatever. And so let's get out of here. So Rachel takes it upon herself to steal the gods of her father Laban. She takes all of his gods, the little idols that he's practicing divination, the occult, and they, they get out of town. And they get a three-day heads up, head, head, head start. The reason why they get a three-day head start is because Laban had gone out with his flocks to shear the sheep, and they had gone out into the pastures to do that. And so they were about a three days journey in another direction. And so Jacob and his family get a three day head start heading the other way. And we'll see, the question is, why did Rachel steal her father's idols, her, the gods, so to speak? We'll see that later. Secondly, tonight, if you're taking notes, the first point was this, be under God's guidance. The second uh, point is that we need to be under God's protection, under God's protection. Let's pick it up. Verse 22 in our text. And it says this, and Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. And then he took his brothers with him and pursued him for seven days journey. And he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. But God had come to Laban, the Syrian in a dream by night. And it said to him, be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. So Laban overtook Jacob, and now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains, and Laban with his brothers pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done that you have stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword? Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? For my, I might have sent you away with joy and songs, with timbrel and harp, and you did not allow me to kiss my sons and daughters. Now you have done foolishly in so doing. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. And now you have surely gone because you, you greatly long for your father's house. But why did you steal my God's? Then Jacob answered and said to him, said to Laban, because I was afraid, for I said, perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. With whom, whomever you find your gods, do not let them live. In the presence of our brothers, identify what I have of yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. And Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the two maids' tents, but he did not find them. And then he went out 
of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Leah had taken the household idols and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. And Laban searched all about them in the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, let it not displease my Lord that I cannot rise before you for the manner of woman is with me. And he searched, but did not find the household idols. Then Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban. And Jacob answered and said to, him, said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? Although you have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brothers and your brothers, that they may judge between us both. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried their young, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by beast I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it, and you required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was in the day, drought consumed me, and frost by night, and my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus I have been in your house twenty years, and I served you fourteen years for your two daughters, and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. And God has seen my affliction, and the labor of my hands, and he rebuked you last night. Wow. So we need to be under God's direction, leadership, and we need to be under God's protection. And when we are the children of God, we are under the protection of God, and we need to realize that, and we need to walk in the protection of God. Amen? As Christians, we need to realize it. Christian, you need to realize that tonight. That God is protecting you. And if you feel like you need to pray for extra protection, go for it. And God, I believe, will answer those prayers. Jacob will see that he's under the protection of God. As he flees Laban, God had told Jacob to go. And that he would get there safely. Remember that? He said, go to the land, go back to your father, go back to your land, and I will go with you. And I, I just want to just... Stop there for a second. I already mentioned this, but I want to just reiterate that again. When God calls us to do something, when he says, I want you to go in a direction, I want you to do this, I want you to commit your life with me, I want you to walk with me in this way, or maybe it's something specific that God has told you in your life, that, 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 that he's going to go with you. You can just rest assured in that. Um, Christian, it, it's an important thing to remember, but we do seem to forget things like that. And the disciples did. I'm reminded of a passage in Luke chapter 8. It was a time when Jesus had told the disciples. In fact, I'll have the, the verse up on the screen. It's in Luke chapter 8 verse 22. And he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. You say, what? What? Well, right after this, the a storm comes up on the lake when they get into the, the middle of the sea of Galilee there, which is about seven miles across. So they were about three and a half miles out in the middle of the, in the, middle of the sea of Galilee. A storm sweeps down uh, in, the, in, the, in the valley in between those mountains there in Galilee. And, and, and those storms could come up suddenly. And sometimes they were rough and violent. And it was so rough and violent that they, they were just petrified. They thought they were going to die. And they needed only to remember what Jesus had told them before when they were getting into the boat. Look at it again. And he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. 
the instruction was, let's get in the boat because we're going over to the other side of the lake. And if God says, get up into the boat and we're going over to the other side of the lake, well, you can just rest assured that you're going to make it to the other side. And it might get a little bumpy. It might get a little windy. The waves might come up and it might look like it's getting kind of uh, scary. We need to realize that we're under the protection of God. Amen. And Jacob needed to realize that, and he's going to realize that in, in this passage. So uh, Jacob and his family, they leave, and they get a three-day jump on Laban because he was away shearing his sheep. Now Laban is mad. He finds out that Jacob has left and, and taken everybody with him, all of his family, and he pursues Jacob, and he has it in his mind to harm him. Now Laban pursues Jacob for seven days, seven days. He got a three-day jump on him, but seven days it took him to catch up. Now, on the night before he catches Jacob, on the very night before, God comes to Laban in a dream and says, do no harm to Jacob, speak neither good or bad to him. Just, uh. and he warns Laban in this dream, be careful that you speak neither good nor bad. And so Laban finds Jacob in the mountains of Gilead and he says, what are you doing? What are you doing leaving? Why did you leave? Why did you steal my stuff? Why did you leave that I couldn't even say goodbye to my kids, my daughters, and my grandkids? I couldn't, I couldn't give anybody a kiss goodbye. I, I, if I would have known you were leaving, I would have thrown a party. We would have had music. We would have had this celebration. We would have, we would have had a party. We would have had music. We would have had a feast. We would, I would have kissed you guys and sent you on your way. Why, why did you do this? And look what Laban says in verse 29. He says, it's in my power to do you harm. But God spoke, the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. Now, Jacob was instructed in a dream about this, what was going to happen with the, the spotted and the streaked and the, the speckled goats and, the, you know, had the whole plan with the poplar branches and the fence that he built around the drinking troughs. Now Laban is instructed in a dream to not speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. And if you look throughout scripture, you will find this truth to be true. God speaks in dreams. He speaks at night. He speaks in dreams. God will speak to us and oftentimes in dreams and in the morning when we're lying on our bed. You know that time when it's quiet. And nothing is in the house. Nothing is stirring in the house. God will speak to us. Sometimes it's a word of wisdom. Sometimes it's a word of warning. He gave Jacob a word of wisdom. He gave Laban a word of warning. And we need to listen to God in the night and in the early morning. Sometimes we're in the bustle of the day and we're like, God, speak to me. And God can speak to you in the bustle of the day. But God speaks a lot in the night. He speaks to us in dreams. He speaks to us with our head on the pillow and when we're just, you know, looking sideways and all we can see is the alarm clock and the numbers there. <laughs> and, God, and God will speak to us. And we need to, you know, hear God. It's harder to hear God above the, the bustle, the hustle, the decibel of the world. But in the night, in the early morning, he speaks to us. And there's a passage of scripture that talks about how God speaks in dreams, in Job chapter 33, verse 14, you'll see it on the screen. It says this, for God may speak in one way or in another, yet man does not perceive it. 
in a dream and a vision of the night when deep sleep falls upon men while slumbering on their beds. And then he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction in order to turn man from his deed and conceal pride from man. And so God will speak to us in a dream. He will speak when we're under threat of harm. I got to believe that if he did this for Jacob, speaking to Laban in a dream and telling him, don't, don't speak to Jacob, either good or bad. That God can speak to your enemies, those that might do you harm, those that might do evil to you, that he can speak to your enemies and warn them in a dream. They might not even know it's the Lord. They might just feel like, ah, they were feeling so hot and bothered and they were going to do this and they were going to do that and they were going to give you a thing, thing or two and tell you what's what. And then they just become uneasy about that. And that's because, Christian, you're under the protection of God. Pray that God would speak to your accusers or those who are coming against you in a dream to warn them to back off. This is, hey, this is another good reason why to go through Scripture. Did you know to even pray that God would speak to your accusers and tell them to back off? Now you do. <laughs> so pray away. Pray that. Add that prayer to your arsenal. Amen? It's the, there's power in prayer. Trust me. Laban then wants to know why he did all this. Why'd you do this? Why'd you leave? Why'd you take my kids? Why'd you take, why, why couldn't I say goodbye? Why couldn't I kiss you goodbye? Why couldn't I throw you a party and have a dance and have music and timbrel and harp and all this stuff? Well, why'd you steal my idols? Why'd you steal my gods? Teraphim is the Hebrew word. So Jacob defends himself and he says, search all my stuff and bring out your gods from my stuff and put them before us and so we can judge. Bring them out before, before my people and your people and we'll all, we'll all look at it and we'll judge. And if you can find the stuff, then we'll all look and say, okay, I was guilty and, and, I, and I took your stuff. So Laban searches for his gods. He searches through all of Jacob's possession. He goes from tent to tent, from Leah to the handmaids, all of it. But Rachel had stolen them. Rachel had stolen them and put them in the camel's saddle and then sat on them. So that, when Ra so that when Laban came near to her tent and came near her, she apologizes to her dad and says, Oh, dad, I'm sorry I can't get up and talk to you right now. I'm on my period. I just translated that for you, okay? That's what, it's, that's what she said to him. Carl? So this is interesting. This is an interesting thing we see. So Laban, Laban searches for his gods and he can't find his gods. Can you imagine? Here's Jacob. He's the, Jacob is Israel. Jacob is going to, just in a little bit, Jacob's name is going to be turned to Israel. He's the father of the 12 tribes. The one whom through Jesus is going to be born into the world. And here we have Rachel's father who's looking around the tents for his gods. And he can't find his gods. And that's very interesting. Because this is like the 
the, the sadness of the world. Just, I, I want to find my God. I want to find my, my gods. What'd you do with my gods? Searching and never finding. It's the way of the world. But our God, Yahweh God, tells us something different in the scriptures. He says, search for me and you'll find me. In Jeremiah 29, 13, you'll see it on the screen in the NIV. He says this, you will seek me and find me when you seek for me with your whole heart, with all your heart. So seek, seek for the Lord and you will find him. Amen. Laban didn't find his gods. So here's the question we asked before. Why did Rachel steal the gods to begin with? These idols that were the gods, but they were, rep were representative of these other gods, right? Remember that we learned in chapter 30 that, that Laban was learning things by div divination, by like occultic practices. And there, there's speculation in the, in the commentaries as to exactly why Rachel stole the gods. Um, but here I am, I'm, I'm going to bring up the book of Jasher again. And remember, the book of Jasher is a, is a, is a book of the, is, it's not a book of the Bible, but it's a book that's mentioned in the Bible. Okay, and the historicity, the authority of the, of the history of Jasher is appealed to in Joshua chapter 10. And that's the chapter when Joshua prays that the sun would stand still when they were fighting in the valley there and they, they needed some more daylight. And he said, God, let the sun stand still. And God, the, so I don't know, somehow the sun stands still and they were able to finish the, the battle. And Joshua, in writing that, he says, yeah, this is what happened. And it's written this way in the book of Jasher. So if you go to the book of Jasher, this is what it says. It says, and Rachel stole these images, which were her father's, in order that Laban might not know through them where Jacob had gone. So because he had practiced divination and this occultic practice and, and, and doing this, she stole them. Now, this was not trusting the protection of God, okay? This, J Jacob here, Jacob is relying on being under the protection of God. And here, Rachel is over here doing something that is completely not trusting in the protection of God because she stole her father's gods thinking that I got to steal these things so that he will not be able to figure out which way we went. And evidently that didn't work because he still found them. But God protected them. And Rachel, even though Rachel, and, and, and not Rachel stealing the gods, that didn't protect them. So sometimes we think we're going to do something. We're going to do some crazy thing that's going to help us, that's going to protect us. When what we really need to do is just trust and be under the protection of God. Amen. So, I'd rather trust in God's protection than some faulty plan of my own. And this doesn't mean that you don't do what you're supposed to do or should do. This was different. This was taking matters into your own hands. And we need to trust in and walk in the protection of God. So, so Jacob and Laban have an agreement. So, the point there in that whole passage is that, you know, basically Jacob defends himself and... He can't find his gods. And so anyways, the passage ends. Let's read this last portion of it, and we're going to finish this up. And Laban answered and said to Jacob, verse 43, These daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children. This flock is my flock. All that you see 
is mine. But what can I do this day to these my daughters or to their children whom they have born? Now, therefore, come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let, let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it as a pillar. Then Jacob said to his brothers, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they, they, and they ate there on the heap. And Laban called it Jagor Sudutha. But Jacob called it Gilead. And Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, its name was called Galid, also Mizpah, because he said, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. If you afflict my daughters or if you take other wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, here's the heap and here's the pillar, which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness and this pillar is a witness that I will not pass beyond this heap to you and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father judged between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his brothers to eat bread. And they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. And, and early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. And then Laban departed and returned to his place. So Jacob and Laban agree to a covenant. They gathered stones. Whenever there was a covenant, there was, you know, a lot of times there was the cutting of the covenant. And there was also the reminder of the, the covenant where they would gather stones and pillars and, and, and make these pillars. And this, these stones and these pillars were to be, it was almost kind of like there was like this geographic barrier. Like we're going this way and we're going to stay and we're not going to cross over from between these, this place to do you harm. And you're not going to cross over this place to, to find us again and to do us harm. So let's wrap this up. The, 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 the sin of envy can, it, it does, it brings destruction. And it was God who stepped into the middle of this situation and stopped a lot of stuff from going down. Of course, Laban wanted to do harm to Jacob. Jacob just was like getting out of there and doing what God had told him to do. So, you know, we've learned a lot from this tonight. Look, what to do, we're, we're, we're not to have that spirit of envy. We're not to have that envy in our hearts, in our minds. It's a killer. It will kill and it brings destruction. And it will kill the man. It will kill the fam- will destroy the family. It will destroy the nation. And so we've got to be careful with that. And then when we are being envied, being careful to be under the guidance of God and under the protection of God. And God is going to go with us. He's going to take us to the other side.